That's some very good mingling till you tingle. Thank you very much. Um, we are very, very blessed to have Anna sharing this morning. Um, Anna's going to be getting into 1 Samuel. Um, I did know that. I also had a cheeky peek just now. Um, so, yeah, we're really, really blessed. So let me just pray for Anna and for us. Father, thank you so much for Anna. Thank you um, for her heart for you and for us. Thank you for the time she's put into this. And, yeah, Father, may she um, just know you so close that she shares with family now. And would you anoint her words? And, Father, for us, would we have ears to hear what you're saying to us? Would you open the eyes of our heart? And, Lord, we just want to know you. So take us on a journey, please, God. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Seb. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, We have reason to praise this morning. Our God is on the move, and he is at work in us and through us. At the beginning of the year, the eldership introduced four new areas we felt God was calling us to focus on and grow in in 2023. The first of these focus areas was Okay, if, if that's what it will take, there is a Whitaker's block from my last sermon still in my, be- in my bag. What was the first focus area? Come on, folks, you know it. Best friend award right there. Thank you. Chocolate bar in there. Yes, that's right. That 2023 would be a year to use our God-given gifts and talents to strengthen our boat and move it forward. And church, it is so good. It is so good to see how people have been responding to this and moving to new posts in our boat to serve. Who has noticed the new people welcoming in the morning? A new morning tea system and people serving in the cafe in a range of different capacities. Uh, People serving with Tara and building into the awesome thing that's going on out there. Uh, We've got new connect group leaders and so many other awesome things happening. And we must never, ever doubt what God can do and will do through us, even if we can't tangibly see it right now. We continue to pastor the presence of the Holy Spirit and be led by him as individuals and as a body. And... A group of us, a representative of our church body, have gone into the world through the missions team to Thailand this year and have come back united in their belief that God is calling us as a church to help build the leadership team in Pond's Church. And Steve is keeping us updated on that um, and calling us to pray into that as well. Today, we are launching into our next focus area for the year, church. That next group on the horizon in the painting. That next area we felt to steer the boat towards. And that is that this would be a year where we would each intentionally and with fresh energy pray for our loved ones that don't yet know Jesus. Who here has people in their life that they would love to see encounter God? Let's pray then. <laughs> well, Lord, we just, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that um, you invite us 
We thank you that you have given us the narrative of 1 Samuel that we can enter into today. And I just pray that whatever it was that um, stirred you to bring this word um, to this body today, I pray that you would speak the loudest. That the message that you want to sow into our hearts and our spirits would be the one that sinks and lands. That we would hear you through the message today. That you would stir and speak to us as you would have us. That you would encourage us today. Amen. So to set the scene, I want to first reread to you all a story that I first shared during Vision Sunday late last year. George Mueller was an incredible man of faith that built, built orphanages in Britain in the 1800s. And this excerpt from his biography first starts with a quote from George's diary and then moves into the author's commentary. And it says... In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day, without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God and I prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three, and I went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. The man to whom God and the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the same hour or day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals, and yet they remain unconverted. But... I hope in God, and I pray on, and I look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And in 1897, these two men, sons of a friend of Mr. Mueller's youth, were not converted after he had entreated God on their behalf for 52 years daily. But after his death, God brought them into the fold. In church, it is this sound of earnest, consistent, intentional prayer for our loved ones and their salvation that we want to hear rise, rise from within SABC with fresh energy for the rest of this year and into the years ahead. Day by day, year on year, wherever we are, whether we are on the seas or probably more likely in the air, at the office or at home, in the car, in the shower, in the garden, running or biking, at Connect Group here on a Sunday service, may the desire to see our loved ones encounter Jesus pour from our lips. As a church globally, um, we do and we should spend a lot of time talking about crossing the chicken line and having bold conversations 
with people in our lives or people that we just come across in the day-to-day. We talk about things like healing or inviting people to Alpha or seeing how we can masterfully weave God into our conversations with them. We can do our absolute human best to model the love of Christ in our life and in our actions and to magnify him to such a degree that those around us want what we have. And all of these things are absolutely powerful and all of these things are absolutely necessary. And we should be continually on the lookout for these opportunities. But... In addition to these things, there is something else that we can all do every day in our pursuit of seeing our people encountering God, and that is to pray. Prayer is a strategy for breakthrough. When we pray, it is like we enter a highway to the heavenlies, and we pull heaven down to earth, communing with God and partnering with him to bring change. And N.T. Wright wrote this of prayer, and I found it quite striking. In prayer, we are invited, summoned, to become more truly human, to worship the God in whose image we are made, and so to find ourselves interceding for the world that he loves. The star of God's address to the world following the death and resurrection of a son is the creation and vocation by the spirit of a people drawn from every family who will live consciously out of tune with the world as it presently is and in tune with the way that God intends it to be and who by bearing that tension in themselves and turning it into prayer, become agents of that new world, beginning to break into the present one in healing and hope. Prayer thus lies at the heart of the task for God's people. Prayer lies at the heart of our task, church. When we see something on this earth which we know is not how God designs or intends, prayer is our way of interceding for it and bringing God's kingdom to it. When we see that our loved ones have not yet realized all that God has done for them, that they have not realized that he has hung on a cross um, out of his transforming love for them, or that he invites them to life and life in abundance, prayer is our way of interceding for them and joining heaven in breaking through. We see things for how they should be, and we pray for it. Prayer is our task. Prayer is a strategy for adopting change. Are you with me? Now, George Mueller obviously modeled praying as a strategy powerfully, but we see it modeled through God's word as well. People coming before and partnering with God in prayer to see breakthrough and bring God's kingdom down to earthly circumstances. And as I was beginning to ponder this sermon a few weeks back, I felt to bring us this morning into one particular biblical narrative. Now, this narrative isn't specifically about someone who is praying for the salvation of their loved ones. But it is a narrative about a woman praying earnestly for a change in her family situation and begging to see breakthrough. 
It is a narrative about a woman who doesn't believe that the way things are, are as they should be, and turning to God. In this narrative, we are invited to enter a woman's grief and to witness her heavy heart. And we get to see a heart pouring out to God in his house. Now, we gave you the hint with 1 Samuel. Who am I talking about? Hannah. I hear it over here. As we enter the narrative of Hannah today, can I encourage you to join me in being encouraged by what she models to us approximately 3,000 years ago about our task of prayer? As we imagine her in her grief, as we imagine her weeping and pouring out her heart fervently, for pe- so fervently that people thought that she was drunk, <laughs> as we see her heart, what is it that she modeled then? and her prayers that we can take encouragement and instruction from as we seek as a body to pick up the task more and more of praying for our loved ones with refreshed energy. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets or whatever it is that you so read the word on, uh, please join me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, it reads... There was a certain man of Ramathane Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerahim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraim. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had none. Now this man, he used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. 
Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the Lord of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away, and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back up to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time... Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So, what can we today observe within this powerful narrative as we seek to be encouraged to intercede and pray for the salvation of our loved ones? What does Hannah model to us? I find myself encouraged by just two observations this morning, and we could talk about this for hours and hours and days and days. I have to pick just two. But for some important context, my understanding of the culture at the time of Hannah is that Hannah had absolutely every reason to be as distressed and grieved as she was. This was not a case of a woman wanting to fulfill her yearnings to be a mum, as a modern-day reader may interpret. No, no. To set a bit more context to her grief, Hannah lived at a time where childbearing was considered to be one of the main jobs of women. It was a core part of their identity and purpose in society. Women who had no children were frowned upon by communities, and there was this belief that if you didn't have children, you must have committed a great sin at some point and were being punished. Remember, there wasn't the knowledge of infertility that we have today. A woman would literally be stigmatized and made to feel like she had done something wrong if she had no children. Now, in addition to having her own inner turmoil, wondering what she had done, to not be able to have children, and having the wider community talking about and ostracizing her, Hannah also had her rival, who we can assume is Paniah, though it doesn't say that point blank, um, her husband's other wife intentionally irritating and provoking her. Did you notice in our passage this morning that it mentioned Paniah or her rival, provoking Hannah grievously not once but twice in just two sentences. Not only did Hannah have to watch this other woman's children, whose mere existence highlighted the fact that the problem with babies was her own, but it was constantly rubbed in her face that she had failed and had none. Let us try to imagine what that would have been like for her. 
to be constantly reminded both inside and outside her house what a failure she was and that she was clearly no good. What's more, to add to the stress of it all, without a child, Hannah had no idea what would happen to her if something was to happen to her husband, Elkanah. Again, the culture of the time was that children would look after their parents in their golden years. And without a child, Hannah would have faced the prospect of literally having nowhere to go. You can see why she was a bit depressed, right? Her grief and her anxiety and her distress were profound over this situation. Why, God, she must have thought. Why was this happening to her? What had she done wrong? And by worldly standards, it was medically hopeless. Maybe, just maybe, you can relate to Hannah's distress and confusion in some way this morning. Not necessarily with regards to infertility, though there might be some here who are journeying through this, and and if that is you, then um, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you at the end of the service. But perhaps you feel a great depth of sadness or hopelessness or frustration over a situation that you or your loved ones are in. Maybe you feel the inner tension of seeing them in situations whereby you just know that God wants more for them. It could be your loved one's marriage or their relationships or their job or their family or um, mental health or health overall or any strongholds of fear or strongholds at all that are robbing them. Whatever the situation is that your loved one is in, you know, you know, that God calls them to have life and life in abundance. And you know how radically different things would be if they were just in vitamin. Or maybe sadness rises when you think about the fact that despite your best efforts, your loved ones are still not walking with the Lord or they've walked away. As somebody who has encountered God and experienced his infinite love in your life, all you want is to help them make the same transforming discovery. But maybe it is your loved one's distance from God, the hardness of their heart, the many scattered seeds that you've tried to sow over the years that haven't taken root. They've left you a bit discouraged in spirit. I don't know about you, and this could very well just be a me thing. In which case, you learn something about me. But sometimes, just every now and again, every now and again, I visualize what it would be like to have my loved ones who don't yet know Jesus here on a Sunday morning. I imagine them down at the front, or here to take communion with, or here standing and worshiping. And when I imagine these things, the reality that should be and that God designs and intends, my heart aches just a little bit. Knowing that they are not yet a reality and in fact feel a lot of the time that they will not happen. 
To return to N.T. Wright's quote, we see a situation for how it currently is, but also know how wonderfully different God's desire is for it. We feel the tension of how things are and how they should be. But no matter what situation our loved ones are in or how far away from God they are, there is always something that we can be doing, and that is to intercede and to resume a posture of fervent prayer. We come, therefore, to the first thing that we can observe and be encouraged by through Hannah's narrative this morning, and that is that through her sadness, in her grief, in her confusion over her situation, the posture of fervent prayer is the one that she resumes. Her response, when it seems completely hopeless, is to pray. The passage describes how Hannah rose after eating and drinking, and in her distress and in her sadness, prayed to the Lord and wept before him. Imagine this scene, folks. Imagine this woman, bullied by her husband's other wife, stigmatized by her community, desperate for breakthrough, rising from eating, and willing herself to go to the temple to pray. She knows where she needs to go. She knows it is God that she needs to turn to and who is the only one who can bring change. She will not accept the circumstance even in her discouragement, even though it would be so easy to give up and understandable if she did. But she comes before the Lord and she weeps before him. And she prays. Her voice isn't coming out. <laughs> but she remains there, speaking in her heart. Even after she makes a vow, she continues to pour out her soul to such a degree that the priest thought she was drunk. Now, I looked up what the original Hebrew word was for praying in this context. And when the author of 1 Samuel was first writing this narrative, they theoretically, theoretically, used the Hebrew word Paulel, which we translate to be the word praying. And Paulel means to intercede, to make supplication. And supplication is the action of requesting or pleading for something earnestly and humbly. To plead humbly, to make an appeal or petition, to entreaty and to implore. Hannah was pleading humbly for breakthrough into her situation, and we should be encouraged to do the same. We should be earnestly and humbly interceding for our loved ones and pleading for breakthrough into their situations and their salvation. 
rising to intentionally pray and to keep praying. A task that we should continue with even when we are discouraged. Even when we are discouraged. Now, every year, um, I set goals for myself um, of things that I personally want to work towards and achieve in the year to come. And this year, one of my goals was to get back into running and to work towards being able to run another half marathon. Um, I injured my knee a little while back, um, and it has proven a challenge, <laughs> a challenge to get back into the routine, especially um, given my workload at the moment. And, one of, and on one of my running routes, as I come through Regent's Park, and before I hit Barnes Road, there is a bridge over a little pond along the track. Historically, I have loved stopping there to see if I can see any fish or eels in the water. True button. Um, it's just a habit I have. Does anyone else have that? They stop and they look to see if they can see fish or eels. It's, yeah. I love it. And, and, and um, always, faithfully, you'll see something at this bridge. But a few months ago, I felt a prompting to intentionally establish a space in my routine where I would pray for my loved ones. To find somewhere that I went to somewhat regularly, that whenever I was there, my brain would be programmed to stop and to earnestly and humbly plead for salvation and breakthrough. And this bridge on my running track was what came to mind. Got a photo of Mitch? Oh, look at that. Perfect. And so for the last few months, every time that I come up to this bridge, I have stopped running and spent just a few minutes in prayer. Regardless of whether or not I am two kilometers into a run or six or eight, more often it's two, <laughs> I will stop. It is not perfect because I am not there every day. And depending on my schedule, it can be um, a week between visits because I might be doing other running routes somewhere else. But it is a structure of intentionality in my life to make sure that I am regularly pleading. On that bridge, for just a few minutes, I remember that things are not as they should be. That my loved ones are yet to discover the fullness of a life with Christ. And as the person in their lives who has met Jesus, as God's agents, I pray and I plead for them. And if you are someone who wants to start praying for your loved ones more and more and more with refreshed energy, can I encourage you to start by establishing a place in your routine to do so? Whether it be in your car, on a particular couch, at a spot on your walking or biking track, in the shower, on the toilet, train yourself to arrive here and into that space of intercession. Now, I'm not saying only to let yourself pray for your loved ones when you're in that spot, because prayer is a constant state of being. 
but I am saying to start intentionally. Now, you may well be thinking, oh, but Anna, I already do pray. You might have been adopting the strategy of prayer for your loved ones for years. You may have been intentionally pleading for years, patiently, patiently bringing heaven down and believing for breakthrough. Can I encourage you today, keep going, keep praying, receive fresh energy and encouragement from Hannah today. Her dear husband, Elkanah, asked Hannah why she was weeping and wondering if he was not worth more to her than 10 sons, which one could interpret, and this is just my interpretation, to mean that he was just understandably trying to get her to see that all would actually be okay if she didn't have a child. But no, no, no. She does not accept the situation or things as they are. The passage says that she continued praying. She didn't pray once, make her vow to give the child back, lay down her metaphorical fleece, as you will, and leave it at that. She continued to pray before the Lord, pouring her heart and her soul out, speaking from her heart, even though her voice wasn't heard. And I reckon that this is because Hannah knew something. She knew, she knew that God, the the God that she was continually praying to, is the God for whom nothing is impossible. Which leads us to our second observation, for today at least. (laughs) And the final thing to be encouraged by is that nothing is impossible for God. Hannah, the the woman who the word says had a closed womb, has a baby. It is an example of a kingdom miracle hitting earth. And Hannah fulfills her vow. She wings the baby and then she takes the baby that she pleaded for to the temple and gives him to the Lord's service. And when you think about that, that is like mind-blowing. I find that mind-blowing. She does go on to have five more kids, but at the time when she takes Samuel up to the temple and leaves him there, she didn't know that. And after she has left Samuel and Eli's care, trusting God with her son's care, Hannah prays this prayer in chapter 2, if you still have your Bibles open. The chapter is literally called Hannah's Prayer. And it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full, who were full, but have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. 
The, bar- the barren has born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and he brings to life. He brings down to she- Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And this prayer is so deep and so layered It shows an understanding on Hannah's behalf of the God that she has been praying to and what he is able to do. But the one thing I want to draw from it today is that this prayer, according to theologians and scholars, is on the heart and referenced by another woman about a thousand years later, who, like Hannah, sees the impossible happen. Another woman who literally sees heaven arrive on earth. In Luke 1 verse 46, we have Mary's song of praise that she speaks after meeting her cousin Elizabeth, yet another woman for whom the impossible has happened. And Mary's song of praise goes, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those in humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. Note with me the similarities in these prayers of praise, church. Both of these women rejoice in their saviour. Both reference the Lord's holiness. Both reference the Lord's strength. Both include examples of provision, the barren bearing children, the hungry being fed. And both use imagery of those who were lowly being exalted and sitting on the throne. Here in these two stories of three women miraculously being pregnant and their prayers, we are reminded of the God that we are praying to. Our Savior who is always worth rejoicing, whose holiness is indescribable, a God who is strong, who is our provider, who sees and raises us up to be with him. That's the God whose existence we want our loved ones to discover in its fullness. And importantly, tucked away just before Mary sings her song is a verse of powerful encouragement that I wanted to end on today, if Ben want to come up. It is in Luke 1 verse 37, and it is in this context of an angel telling Mary 
that she will conceive and that her cousin Elizabeth, who, like Hannah, was barren, will as well. And the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with our God. Nothing is impossible for our God. He has formed us from dust. He controls the night, the day, the planets, the stars, and the seas. There is not a sparrow that he doesn't see full, and there is not a hair on the head of our loved ones that he does not know about. He makes the barren give birth. He brings life and his kingdom to all situations. There is no one There is no one so far away that he will not pursue them. There is not a person or a loved one that he cannot reach. There is no heart that is so hard that he cannot impact it. There is no pain that he cannot heal. There is no relationship he can't restore. There is no one so lost that he can't find them and lead them to him. Nothing is impossible for our God who loves our loved ones more than we do. And when we pray, when we intercede and humbly ask for breakthrough and salvation, we are partnering with him and bringing his kingdom down. We just know he's waiting for an invitation. That he will go wherever he is invited to go. And when we pray, we join him in that pursuit. So just as Hannah rose after eating and drinking to come before God and pray, can I encourage you to do the same today? At the start of this series on prayer, if you are discouraged or if you are sad or frustrated or desperate for breakthrough with regards to your loved one's salvation, all the situations that they're in, Can I encourage you this morning to rise as Hannah did? To rise. And to come before him afresh and resume that posture of prayer. If you want, um, Hannah moved. She moved from the table to the temple. There is power in movement. The Lord sees the movement, the heart behind the movement. If you wanted to, Can I encourage you to rise and move to the front and pour out your heart um, in prayer afresh today for your loved ones in their situations. We won't get the prayer team praying for you. We'll just open up the space and you can have some time with the Lord just to pour out your heart. But rise this morning, church, encouraged with a mind and intention to continue to pour out for our loved ones to encounter Jesus. So how about we rise? I'm going to let the band play for a little bit. We'll take this opportunity. Move. Rise and move. And pray. Pray.